<laughs> nice choice. We were talking about some kind of uh, uh, fun music we could start with. It, it's a thrill to be back here in front of the, uh, the leaders of the LA tech scene. This is where our company was born. Um, some, most of our original customers are within about a 10 mile radius of here. And the subject is something that is deeply fascinating to me, this subject of recurring revenue, because recurring revenue, if you think about it, you strip away the, the mathematics of it, um, it's really about relationships. It's about the notion that we could expend some effort to develop a product and bring that, that product to a customer, and that customer will keep using the product and generating revenue from us for us for a long, long time. And so when, uh, when I spoke to you all about three years ago, let's see if this is going to work, um, you know, I pointed out this very basic fact, you know, because one of the things, when we, by the way, we went public uh, in June of 2015. And uh, right before we went public, I, show, I showed my dad our public filings. Uh, and he had invested in us uh, way back in the day. He was one of my original backers. And uh, he had always paid attention to the fact that our revenues were going up into the right and our customer count was going up into the right. And then he read our public filings and saw that we were burning one hell of a lot of money. And so he said, he said to me, he says, you know, I'm, I'm so proud of you. Uh, I can't even begin to understand how you did this. My dad was a, a lifetime small business owner, brick and mortar lighting fixture stores. My grandfather was a brick and mortar business owner. Three of my four brothers are three and four brick and mortar business owners. One of the reasons that I really connect to our customers. And he said, uh, I'm so proud of you, but, but you are going to make money one day, right? <laughs> because he was thinking about the world like this. He's thinking that I'm going to sell you something, and on that something, I have to earn a gross margin. And from that gross margin, I pay my operating expenses, and after that, I got something left over. That's called a business. But we, the people in this room, and the people who invest in like people in this room, we do something really kind of crazy because the numbers don't add up <laughs> in gap accounting because the problem is, as we said, this is looking at it through a lens, a slice, an instant slice of time, and not recognizing what happens after. So this is, by the way, precisely the slide I showed three years ago. And so at first blush, you think business number two is a train wreck, and business number two is wonderful. And at second blush, you go, oh, OK, there's something else going on here. And so we went public on June 19th, 2015. The day before we went public, another company that you might have heard of went public called Fitbit. Fitbit was growing 60% a year, had I think a 25 or 30% positive bottom line. I mean, they were dead sexy. And we were not. <laughs> Our stock got pummeled the first 45 days. Their stock just took off into the stratosphere. And if you want to know what happened ever since, just look at the charts. Okay, because they have to design the next batch of Fitbits that have to beat, you know, small players like Samsung and Garmin and Apple, you know, little guys, to, to continue to generate revenue. Because we buy our Fitbits, we're never going to pay another dime to Fitbit. And I remember being so frustrated. Don't, why don't these people get it? Why didn't they attend that lecture I gave at the Recurring Revenue Conference? <laughs> but I just had to bide my time and prove it in time. And so in 2017, we grew north of 30% a year. And we were profitable. We got it done. And so you, you, that seriously mattered to us. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, 
So we talked about that, you know, that this is the SAS theory of everything. And this idea that we can break out our cost of goods sold, or our cost of sales, into the cost of acquiring customers and the cost of delivering to those customers, that we think about our revenue in terms of what portion of the revenues are recurring. Um, and then we, we factor in our monthly attrition. And you can do a simple math exercise and come up with value. And um, so I thought, when I was thinking about this presentation, I thought, well, how do we take this to the next level? Because we have certainly learned a lot more about this. This works perfectly well if you believe a couple of assumptions. And the first assumption is that we can predict the future monthly attrition based upon the past averages. Right? Well, that's not, a, that's not a small leap of logic. That's a pretty important notion. Um, the second is that the ARPS is remaining constant. Well, in our case, the ARPS is not remaining constant. We onboard these customers, and they gain value. Or they, tip, they either gain value or they typically fail. Uh, and so the net effect of that is something we had to come up with another metric called dollar-based net expansion. And you can go on our public filings and see what that means. It basically says, of all the customers that we had at the end of period, our last period was Q4-17, uh, so all the customers we had at the end of Q4-17, or 16, and then fast forward to the end of Q4-17, what are they worth? So all the ones who, the businesses that shut down, the ones who left us for a competitor, is the takeaway, and it's like it burns it down. And then you have the gain in value of the customers that you kept. And that builds it back up. Well, we have been running consistently above 100% for like four years. I mean, we, it, actually, all the way back. But that's the part that the, that the street can see. So it's never been less than 100% in our history. So actually, we theoretically, on this math, have an inverse attrition, which, which breaks the math. It doesn't actually work. So, so it's built on a bunch of assumptions that are based upon all these notion of static nature of the business. And as every entrepreneur knows, and those of you who back us entrepreneurs, things are rarely static. It's constantly changing. The market is changing. Your product is changing. Your go-to-market is changing. Oh, by the way, this is one of the things that we said. If your LTV is less than your CAC, then uh, you're going to be living in a van down by the river. <laughs> if your LTV the CAC is somewhat greater, if your LTV is... Uh, calculation is somewhat greater than your CAC, then uh, be wary, because it's based upon a bunch of assumptions, and you, you want to be constantly challenging those assumptions. And if your LTV to CAC is really, really much bigger, um, your LTV is much bigger than your CAC, then you know, now, now you got something. Now this is a rocket that's going to take off. Um, and so what are we talking about? Well, you know, LTV to CACs less than two or three, I would be very leery of. Because again, there's so many assumptions in there, and, and, um, and there's a cost of money, which by the way isn't even in the calculation, or inflation. Um, and uh, and the, the second reason is that um, uh, so if you want to get to something that's really solid, well, you want to be north of five. You know, five to 10 is pretty typical numbers you hear, and every once in a while there must be a unicorn out there that can claim a 15 or a 20 uh, on this math. So going back to the example we gave, you know, this is the LTV to CAC calculation. We're assuming a 5% monthly attrition rate. By the way, these are not mind-body numbers. If I was showing you mind-body numbers right now, I'd be violating like multiple laws. 
and we'd all be in deep trouble. Actually, I'd just be in deep trouble. You'd be in trouble if you traded on it. So please don't do it. This, these, I literally made these up. There's a complete fake numbers. In fact, you might even prove that the math doesn't work somewhere where I messed it up. But uh, the principle is there. What did you spend in sales and marketing? What did you spend in onboarding to get the customer um, is the CAC. And then the, the recurring gross margin is the 100 bucks of revenue minus the $10 of cost of delivery. And then let's assume a 5% attrition. In this particular example, I magically created an 18 to 1 LTV to CAC. What really matters here? We're entrepreneurs. That means we want to make things better. This isn't about some static thing. And so when we went public, um, right as we were going public, we had done a lot of work in, in what we call cohort analyses. And just, just to use the buzzword, yes, it was a big data project to actually understand tens of thousands of customers' behavior across many, many years and, and, and understand how they behave in different classes. And so to improve it, you first and foremost have to understand it. And it's both a mathematical analytical exercise and it's also an opportunity for the business to remember the whole point is relationship. And for any relationship to endure, it has to be a win-win relationship. And for it to be a win-win relationship in a business, that means that the product or the, and the service is worth a lot more to the customer than you're charging them for it. And what they're paying you for it is a lot more than it costs you to actually deliver it. That's win-win. And they're doing something that's durable. Because if, what, if they're going to adopt your solution for three months and then go off and do something else, then how can you possibly have a, a recurring revenue relationship? No matter how well you do your job. Classic story. Um, our North American sales director, his wife and his wife had a baby. And uh, so his wife, while she's on maternity leave, says, you know what, I want to go, go um, teach stroller-based fitness in the park. And it's moms and babies. It's like one of the, one of the little business models that, that we had had. And we had a product called Solo. And we had built Solo to go directly at Square. Because Square had entered our market and was actually advertising that they had, had, had solutions for fitness instructors and, and salons and spas. And you know, you gotta take somebody like Square pretty seriously, right? And uh, so we were marketing it for 45 bucks a month. And um, so this guy, Brandon, says to his wife, ah, oh, you, you wanna do a, a, a home-based business? Well, we, you know, we have a solution for that. But instead of like just hooking her up with mind body, he actually set her up to check out Square Scheduler. Um, check out uh, a couple other solutions that were out there, and MindBody. And she chose MindBody, yay! All right, okay, and then we went through an onboarding process. We taught her how to use our robust web and mobile software and spent a few hours on that. And she got up and running. We did a full underwriting of her merchant account, which is if you've ever done a merchant account application, is a little bit like, applying, like a, a mortgage. Uh, it's a complete underwriting process. And we got her through that whole process, and we got her up and running, and she started running stroller-based fitness in the park on Mind Body. And then four months later, she's like, oh, I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> so we had spent like $1,500 to set her up. And we did a great job, and she was happy with it, and we earned about 500 Do you remember that van down by the river? So by the way, somebody somewhere, maybe somebody in this room will figure out how to make a profitable, growing, recurring revenue business off of these small micro-merchants, but it sure isn't us. You guys are welcome to it. 
Uh, and Square doesn't either, by the way. If you listen, if you read their earnings statements, they don't talk about this micro-merchant market they created and invented. All they talk about is high-value merchants, brick and mortar. They talk about restaurants. They talk about food delivery, Square Capital, um, all this other stuff. They're not talking about the whole thing that started their company. Why? Because it doesn't make money, guys. It actually doesn't work. Um, not yet. Somebody hasn't figured it out yet. Somebody will one day, maybe. So the whole point is, the key insight is, if we think of LTV to CAC as this giant orange, it's, it's, it's an average. It's showing you on the outside. It's not, there's a lot of truth that is not being shown to you that's inside that orange. And so we start thinking about how do we get into the deeper truths? And that's, you've got to dig into averages. I mean, don't trust average numbers. You know, if, if we say, if a doctor says the patient's average heartbeat for the last hour was 60 beats per minute, uh, did that mean that he had 180 beats per minute for, for uh, 20 minutes and then it was zero after that? Uh, I mean, right? So averages don't, don't tell you truth um, precisely. So how do you get at this? Well, you've got to start digging in. You've got to start slicing it. And so the easiest way, if you've got a very nascent business, you may have a very small customer base, well, break them into quartiles. As soon as you have four customers, you've got four quartiles uh, that you can break them into. Okay, well, we got enough of a sample size now that we could really get serious. And so our big buzzword internally now is decile analysis. Everything is a decile analysis. We just bought a company called Booker, our largest competitor in the salon and spa industry. They have uh, $25 million in revenue last year, and we paid $150 million in cash for them. Nothing I've told you is not public information. Um, and so how in the world did we get our head wrapped around paying that much money? You can believe that we did a serious decile analysis on Booker, and we were pleased with what we found. Um, and so uh, this is what a decile analysis looks like. Again, this is made up numbers. You would break your customer base up into the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth deciles, right? Another way of saying that is the tenth decile would be the 90th percentile, all right? And you would say, what is the average revenue? So, this is a revenue-based or ARPS-based um, decile analysis. By the way, we use the word ARPS, other people say ARPU, that's the same thing, all right? And then you also need to look at the other components of LTV calculation. Well, how do these deciles behave with respect to cost of acquisition and cost of delivery? And most importantly, how do they behave with regard to attrition? And so while these are made up numbers, the, the the phenomenon they show is true. It's absolutely true of us. And that is, probably not surprisingly, the customers willing to pay us more for our software were far more durable than the customers who were more price sensitive um, and weren't willing to pay our higher price points. Um, much in the way as I told you about Brandon's wife and her, her stroller business. Compare that to someone opening up uh, a fitness studio in Santa Monica who spends $300,000 on the build-out, signs a six-year lease, personally guarantees the lease, which means if that business goes down, she's on the hook for all six years for the $18,000 a month rent. Um, I mean, that is terrifying. By the way, you can guarantee uh, that their spouse signed that PG as well, uh, personal guarantee PG. Um, I know this because my wife owned a day spa. Guess who signed the personal guarantee? So I can't quit my day job. Uh, yeah. 
That's part of the reason that she got the lease in one of the best shopping districts in our little town of San Luis Obispo, because she was creditworthy. She had capital. The landlord met her and saw that she had grit, saw that she had a well-thought-out business plan. So we learned, hey, let's just let the landlords be our first funnel, our first filter. Let's find the businesses in the best shopping districts where we already know they're successful businesses, so the rents are high, and let's target our sales and marketing in those neighborhoods. Our global strategy is now neighborhood targeted. We have documented every target market customer in the eight English-speaking countries that we're focused on. Yes, we're in 130 countries, and we used to be so proud to talk about that, but the fact of the matter is, more than 90% of our revenue is in eight countries. The US, Canada, UK, Ireland, Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, and Hong Kong. And so what are we doing focusing on Peru? I mean, it's, it's just not, we're not gonna get where we need to go. We gotta focus here, and, and for us particularly, because we're building a marketplace strategy. This is a two-sided SaaS play. This is a B2B play with the business management software, and then it's a B2C play with all of that beautiful inventory of available classes and appointments. Over five million class and appointment sessions are offered each day on our system. Last year, 600 million class and appointment sessions were delivered, booked, paid for, through our platform. That's the metric that matters, not customer count. Because a customer could, again, be Brandon's wife, or it could be Yoga Works over here on Montana Avenue. Completely different value. So we've done this internally with our real numbers, and we see our attrition, and, and it's, it's, these are not the numbers, not even close, but the principle is there. And so I challenge all the entrepreneurs here and the investors here to look at the companies that you care about in that lens. Uh, I promise you it will give you an insight that you may not have had before, and it will probably focus you in a similar way that it focused us. Maybe in other markets, it's not the highest paying customers are the most durable. I could certainly imagine scenarios where that's the case. That's not the case. But here's what's fascinating. You then do the LTV CAC decile. So here's that beautiful, uh, oh, it's a typo. It's just the average uh, LTV to CAC, 5%. Uh, that should say 18. Remember the 18 that I showed on my made up numbers? Well, if I, did, if, you, if I took my made-up numbers and mashed up my made-up numbers, I came up with this kind of a profile of LTV to CAC. If you do that to your business, what's that going to do? You're going to focus in, up and to the left there, right? You're going to focus in the, the top deciles. And you're going to decide at which deciles you really don't want them as customers anymore. You're actually going to have the, the backbone and the focus and the vision to choose your customers. The best way not to lose a customer is to not having boarded that customer in the first place. First place. Yes, we can lose customers because we screw up the implementation and, we, and, the soft, and somehow we offend them. Or they, they, but mostly, it's because the product wasn't the right fit or the customer wasn't really, it wasn't really a serious business. That's what we've learned. So I'm going to end with this note. I got one more minute, and that is, what constitutes a good life? This is a completely different topic. Okay, number one. We have to have a body that works. If our bodies don't work, everything else is irrelevant in our lives, literally. And so each of us know people in our lives whose bodies no longer work. And it's, it's profound, and it tells us how much we have to be thankful for. Number two, um, connection with others. A sense of, of, a, of a social network around you. I mean literally um, a support network. Number three, the ability to cope with stress, because we sure have a lot of that today in our world. Number three, number four, 
a sense of purpose and meaning. What's the point of all this? What is the point of this whole life that we're living? And having your own sense of that is deeply important. We've got to live in a world that isn't toxic. Boy, is that important. Isn't it wonderful to see that the, the, the burgeoning middle class in China is finally fed up with this, this polluted, toxic environment that they're, that they're living in, and they're cleaning up their act. Isn't that great? Work that actually means something to us is really important. And the ability to continuously grow and expand our mind. And here's the whole reason why I'm bringing it up. There's a word for that, and that's called wellness. That's what mind body's about. We think this is not a niche thing. And I believe that when I first pitched the Pasadena Angels in 2004 and met Mr. Snyder Sweeney sitting right here and Ken Ramberg, uh, and I believe it today, I think this is the largest and most important opportunity of our age, and there's lots more work to do there. Thank you very much. Okay. Who wants to ask a question? Yes, sir. His question is, did we have a pivot in the early days? The target market never pivoted, uh, but the method of delivery did. We were an on-prem solution, um, synchronizing data and linking up to web servers, and we became a cloud solution before we even knew what the word meant. Um, that was our major pivot. I will say also that there were periods where we tried other things, like we, we had an idea of just a cloud-based point-of-sale system, which in 2006 or 7 was a really breakthrough idea, basically what Square built. And before we realized, it was just a diffusion of energy. And, and actually, what we have done since IPO is actually refocus us back on exactly the businesses that we were focused on in the garage. That, and we've expanded our markets in the salons and spas. That's why we acquired Booker. Yes, ma'am. Oh, so she says, does, do we think there's a consumer strategy? And because she has 10 MindBody logins, and what she needs is one universal login and an app where you can access all the businesses at once and see everything they're doing. And do We built that. I got great news for you. Go to the iTunes store and look up MindBody. We have 7 million registered users on that app. It's, it's, uh, uh, we got it. Thank you for that. that uh, I planted that question, by the way. That was, thank you. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Thank you so much. So she's, that's our fifth acquisition, by the way. But, so she's a Pasadena Angel. Uh, these guys right here are a funded company. Congratulations. And uh, she's also a Booker customer. What do you have, a salon or a spa? Uh, I'm uh, actually a stroller cleaning business. A stroller <laughs> cleaning business. OK. So, uh, OK, so our plan is Booker, has, Booker was built for uh, appointment base, particularly salon and spa businesses. We were originally built for fitness, and we were adapting ourselves for salon and spa. So as a result, Booker is a simpler, easier-to-use product. Uh, we intend to continue investing in that product. We intend to leverage a lot of the platform capabilities that we have that they haven't had because of their, their, their scale, really. Um, and we intend to link it to that MindBody app and to a web version of the app that's coming out very soon, um, and also to our integrations with Googles and others. So we're going to make Booker even better um, and even more powerful. So um, it's a pleasure to serve you. Yes. Oh, yeah. How do we approach a business like ClassPass that uses our software to build a business of their own? We embrace them. We love that. In fact, that was intentional. In the earliest days, when we were a tiny company, we aspired to be a platform. Why? Because platforms are much more durable. Platforms have a bigger moat. 
platforms allow a faster rate of innovation to happen in the space. Platforms also can present a, competitive, um, a competitor to uh, emerge. So ClassPass is a partner in terms of on top of our transaction platform, they've built this thing that they go out and they sell passes directly to consumers, a universal pass, and then they've pre-negotiated with our customers who have desired this service to pay a fee uh, to put those classes in. And so we make, we make revenue off of that, um, and it makes our platform more powerful. So one word you hear is coopetition, and I firmly believe in it. It is not a zero-sum game. Um, one of our strategies is to be a platform of choice for competitors and partners. And so, yeah, we thoroughly embrace it. Yeah, we like ClassPass. Yes, so, Mr. Sweeney. My question about uh, ClassPass raises another question about your marketplace. There are now, what, 50 or more companies in your marketplace. Yeah, over 100. Companies that you're nurturing and helping. Could you talk a little bit about what the possibilities are there? So, uh, Stender brings up the fact that in our API, our platform partnership marketplace, there's actually over 100 companies, going concerns that have built solutions on top of our platform. We see that as an, as a, an incubator of great ideas. Um, and the best of those ideas are certainly acquisition opportunities for us, uh, but others may just be partners for life. Um, and so the kinds of things that are being worked on, loyalty programs, ClassPass was a new kind of marketing channel that fills uh, uh, that increases capacity utilization, you know, puts butts and seats on bikes and mats. Um, and uh, advanced analytics systems like iKismet, another Passing Angels company. And there's a lot happening in the space. It's thrilling because there's no way that we could chase after every one of those ideas. So we didn't invent this idea, did we? I mean, you know, Salesforce, you know, the, the whole force.com platform uh, is, is what we, we benchmarked with our approach. How's my time doing? All right. One more. Yes, sir. So I, uh, I ran marketing for Salesforce and other categories and other partners. Thank you. Uh, as, a, as someone who spent most of the time marketing to businesses, do you use the same kind of metrics now as you're more in the consumer-facing platform, especially when you're reporting to the street and things like that? So the, this gentleman uh, ran marketing for YogaWorks, one of our most important customers. Um, and so he's asking whether we think of an LTV to CAC analysis for consumers. We're just figuring that out, just starting to. And uh, we're nascent in, as a consumer brand. And we bought a platform partner called Limber last year. They built a dynamic pricing algorithm that was really quite brilliant. It basically surges pricings and discounts pricing in the same way that everything else we buy now is airline tickets and hotels and theater tickets and concerts and sporting events, it's all dynamically priced. Um, so dynamic pricing, we think, is the future of our industry. So that team was a team of really sharp, consumer-focused uh, innovators, product people in San Diego. So we kept that band together, and we tripled down on them. Um, and so they're running consumer for us as, a, as part of MindBody. And uh, we, uh, we recognize that a B2B strategy and a B2C strategy, in many ways, there's, there's very different mindsets. Um, and we're, we're learning uh, LTV to CAC for consumers, but I wouldn't profess to be the expert yet. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Thank you everybody. Thank you.